For scripture reading, we begin in Acts chapter 11. Do a little of the background reading tonight to, that explains how the gospel came to, to Antioch and the fruit of, of that uh, by the grace of God. So that we read, starting at Acts 11, verse 19, through chapter 13, verse 5. There's also a reference to how Barnabas was sent to Antioch, and also how Saul came to Antioch. So it speaks of that in this section that we, that we read. Acts 11, starting at verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, 
Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. As Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, She opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto the people. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And now the next five verses are the text we consider tonight. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, 
And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures tonight. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this passage speaks about God sending forth to men to go forth and preach the gospel elsewhere. The book of Acts up to this point speaks of how Christ has ascended into heaven, pours out the Spirit, and how the gospel went forth from Jerusalem and how it spread to Antioch, went north to Antioch in Syria, and then roughly the second half of the book of Acts is going to be largely about how the gospel went out from Antioch as Barnabas and Paul on the first missionary journey went out to preach the gospel elsewhere as those that had been sent by God. And then there would also be a second journey, and then there would also be a third journey, and then there would be a time when Paul was put in prison, and the gospel would go even to Rome. The gospel the first time, and the first journey with Paul and Barnabas being the ones that went out, they went to the island of Cyprus, and then went to what we refer to as Asia Minor, and then came back, and came back to Antioch. And then in the second journey, he went out with Silas and went also into the area that we would refer to as Europe. The second part, roughly the second part of the book of Acts, speaks in some detail about the gospel now going forth to the nations. And obviously there's instruction here about the work of missions for us today. There are things for us to learn as we read in the book of Acts about the mission work of the Apostle Paul and here with Barnabas with him, what they were sent to do and how they went out and following them on their, on their journey and the, what they encountered and then reading the history along with what is recorded in various epistles, and it wasn't that long ago here that we read a portion of Acts and then also read in 1 Thessalonians, and he had visited Thessalonica during his second missionary journey. Certainly, as we study the book of Acts and we study the epistles, and indeed when we study all of Scripture, for it is not just in those sections that we have instruction in missions, but as we are studying the scriptures, considering what God did and how he gathers his church, it is important for us also to look at it from the point of view of the instruction that there is for us. And our calling also faithfully to bear witness to the truth as individuals and as a church and his churches faithfully to preach the, the gospel of grace as those that have a calling of God 
ministers of the word, knowing that they've been sent by God. As Barnabas and Saul did, they knew who had sent them. They were sinners. Paul had recently been persecuting the church, and here he was sent out on this mission. And he knew what he had done. And he speaks in the scriptures about what he had done. And how it grieved him to think of what he had done. God turned him. God worked in him to confess his sin with sorrow and to turn from that sin. And he was one of those that would be sent out and preach the gospel on the mission field. There's instruction in the scriptures about what to preach. What do you say? There's instruction concerning the methods to follow that we look to scripture. There's instruction in the scriptures about the fact that God will guide us in the work, that we're to pray, that we read of the saints praying, gathering for worship, and praying as they send them out their praying. Certainly we are constantly to be praying ourselves and also to be diligently supporting the work of missions, but also encouraging young men to consider the ministry as we see the need in our own churches and also as we look for open doors in the work of missions and also as individual believers in this week for us to look for opportunities when we can bear witness to others concerning the good news of the gospel that God has made known unto us. We look at this text under the theme, Barnabas and Saul sent forth. We consider, first of all, the church. And as we look at the church, we consider something of how, uh, how the gospel got to Antioch and how Barnabas and Saul got there and some things we learn about the church that was in Antioch. And some of those things are points that we can pull from the, the context of what we read uh, just moments ago. Then secondly, we look at it from the viewpoint of the sending forth of these men. and We take note that there's a reference to God sending them, and there's a reference to the fact that the church sent them. So in the second place, we look at it from the point of view of the sending. And then thirdly, we look at it from the viewpoint of the work we read that God said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so in the third place, we'll look at it from the viewpoint of the work. Barnabas and Saul sent forth the church, the sending, and, and the work. First of all, with regard to how... The gospel got to Antioch. There's instruction here about how in the providence of God, when there was persecution, after Stephen had been put to death, stoned, one who had faithfully borne witness to the truth, that they hated him, threw stones at him to kill him, 
And then there was this persecution. And we read about that as in the beginning of, of where we picked up reading. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So they went, there were those that went to the north as far as Antioch. And if you look at where Jerusalem is, that you go pretty much to the north in Syria, a few hundred miles to the north, and there you have Antioch and Syria. And the gospel was spread there after the, when there was this persecution and people went elsewhere bringing the word. And when that word was brought to Antioch, the scripture says, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. That's in Acts 11, verse 21. That's quite the statement. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. When the gospel goes forth to an area, and when it is the case that it actually happens, that there's a number that believe, and not just a few, but a great number that believed and turned unto the Lord. That idea of turning from sin. To God, that they believed they turned away from sin to the true and living God. The sorrow for sin. Thankful to hear the good news about the forgiveness of sins. About the Savior. About Jesus Christ and his suffering and death. And that all those who believe in him are forgiven all of all their sins. There were some who believed the good news and turned unto the Lord. And what's the explanation of that? The hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with him. It is entirely a work of God's grace. But we also take note of how Here the enemies, spiritual enemies, had come against the church. They not only killed Stephen, but they also went out to persecute others. And here at this time of persecution, there are others that spread to other areas. And then you read of those in another area, how a great multitude believe and turn unto the Lord. Think back in the book of Exodus when they were afflicting the afflicting Pharaoh was afflicting the Israelites. And then we read, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Here they were concerned about the Israelites were multiplying such. And they afflict them, and the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. We hear people that were against Christ. Against the church, against God and his people. And they persecute the church, God and his providence. The gospel is spread unto other areas. A great multitude believe and turn 
to the Lord by the grace of God. In Antioch, a large, that's a large city, one of the largest cities in the empire. There are other large cities in which we read of churches, Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, Thessalonica, other cities of significant size where we read of the gospel going to these places and there were people that believed and churches being established even in the midst of the ungodly. In our mind, we might think of a city like Rome and the ungodliness of Rome. And yet there, at the time, there was a church there. So also it could be still today that in a church, in a city, in a rather significant size city, there could be churches. Of course, Grand Rapids in this area are areas of significant size. And then there's other times where churches are established in rural areas. And sometimes people are astonished to see the size of some churches in rural areas where the towns are so small. And then people come to the church and see how many people there are there. I wonder where do all these people come from in this small town? It can be in a rural area. It can be in a city that God gathers his people according to his will. Now Barnabas and Saul, how did they get there? And how did they labor there together? Well, we read about that. The church in Jerusalem, and notice that we read about the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem hears about what's happening in Antioch to the north. They hear the good news about the fact that there are many that have turned from their sin to God. There are many that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they send Barnabas up there. They send Barnabas to the north. And then there was instruct there, there is reference to him. That he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And they had sent Barnabas to go up to labor there. And he goes there, and, he, and when he goes there, and seeing the grace of God, he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Then he goes to get Saul. So Barnabas is the one that gets there first. He goes to Tarsus to go get Saul. Tarsus in Asia Minor, he goes to Tarsus and he gets Saul. And then he, Saul comes to Antioch and the two of them labor together for about a year. So they worked together for a while before they went out on this, on this journey. As it says, a whole year, this is chapter 11, verse 26, and a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. So for a whole year, they taught quite a few of the saints 
And the disciples were called Christians first there in Antioch. Now there are some important points to note then about this church in Antioch from what we read. First of all, what we just read, they were called first, they were called Christians first in Antioch. And even if it was the case that there were those that used that term in a derogatory way, calling them Christians that are followers of Jesus and are always talking about Christ, even if it be the case that there were those that used the term in a derogatory way, it is the case that it is proper that we be referred to as Christians. And we even explain that in Lord's Day 12. It also points out that others could see the difference between them and others, and they refer to these people who are distinct from others, they refer to them as Christians. We know, of course, that the term Christ means anointed one. And Christians means those who partake of Christ's anointing. That are members of Christ by faith and partake of Christ's anointing. That Christ is the anointed one means he's anointed, serves, and he's He is the prophet, priest, and king. He's the office bearer. And that we are Christians means we partake of Christ's anointing and we are prophets, priests, and kings under Jesus Christ. Well, they, the disciples, were first called Christians there in Antioch. was a relatively young congregation then that was called of God to send forth these men. There were Hellenistic Jews there, Jews that would speak Greek. There's thought to have been Gentiles there, so a mixture of different people there. And there was enough work there for multiple teachers, prophets and teachers, you know, we to say Barnabas and Saul were laboring there for a while, for, a, for a, about a year together. And, but the text that we're looking at makes known that there was enough work there that there were five men that are mentioned. There were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, and it mentions, mentions five men. It was quite something of what was going on in this congregation. And then we read in the end of Acts 11 that they, this church in the north, they sent money when they heard about the famine, about the dearth in the south, in Jerusalem, in Judea. That those who, where the gospel had gone to a new area, and they were the ones that were sending money back to the saints that were in Judea when they heard about their need. That was in the end of Acts chapter 11, when it says, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, 
And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dirt throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So God is making known to them that this is going to be the case. There's going to be this dirt or this famine. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. That's quite something about this young congregation. You know, today, when we're involved in foreign mission work, it's been often the case that the churches in these areas often look to us for a certain amount of financial assistance. That we bring to them the word, and they often express to us that they have some financial need. And we look to God to give us wisdom in helping and assisting our brothers and sisters, which we do want to do in a right and biblical way. It is interesting to note in this case, the gospel goes to Antioch, and the people in the, people in the church in Antioch are sending money to help assist the brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Judea when they hear about their need. They were determined to do that. And they send it by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And this is the congregation, then, that would send out these men to go out in the work of and engage in this work of missions. So now we turn out to turn now secondly to that idea of the sending them forth. Who sent them? Well, the first answer, of course, is the fact that they were sent by God. And that's still the case today. That a minister of the word who has been lawfully called and installed has been sent by God. Sent by God to labor where he labors. Whether it be in our one of our instituted churches, or whether it be on the mission field, whether it be that for a time one labors as a pastor in a certain church and then perhaps moves and is pastor of another church and maybe later is involved in the work of missions and then maybe later returns to be a pastor, the Lord sends his servants where he wants them. And it is important that we remember that when we talk about men and their calls to labor in different places is that God does send men where he wants them to go. And we confess that in the canons of Dort, in the first head, Article 3, where it says, and that men may be brought to believe God mercifully sends the messengers of these most joyful tidings. To whom? To whom he will. To whom he will. When? At what time he pleaseth. So in the first head of the canons, Article 3, it specifically makes reference to how God is the one that sends the messengers. Mercifully sends the messengers 
of the joyful tidings. That's what gospel means, good news or joyful tidings, according to his will. And then it quotes Romans 10, 14, and 15, that section which ends with, and how shall they preach except they be sent? And in the passage that we read, it speaks about the sending forth of these men. First we read, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, this is verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, now as earlier on you read about the gospel about the uh, rather the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost and then we talked about how the Spirit came upon Cornelius and those that were with them these Gentiles well elsewhere in the book of Acts we continue to read about the Holy Spirit and we read the Holy Spirit speaks he's a person He's the third person of the Trinity. He's a real person. And the Holy Ghost spoke. It was the Holy Ghost that said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And then verse 4 says, So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. So the one can rightly say, that God sends the messengers, and one can say the Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God sent forth Barnabas and Saul. We know that God has determined to save a people from all nations. We sang of that which serves to bring out, too, that this was not a, an idea that's only found in the New Testament. In, in the Old Testament, we read, and we sing, we're familiar with that. When we sing the Psalter, there's a number of times when we talk about all nations will be blessed. All nations serving Jehovah God, which certainly talks about the fact that the gospel would go forth to the nations. As was said all already in the days of Abraham. All families of the earth will be blessed. And thy seed. And Jesus Christ. So all nations would be saved. Now God has said he has determined that. And it is the case that he will send. The messengers to whom he will. At what time he pleases. He will accomplish his purpose. And that's, that's an important point for us to recognize and to confess. Christ said, I will build my church. He laid down his life to save a certain people, his bride. And that the members of his bride are from the different nations of the world, and he will gather them from the different nations. He will send his messengers. He will gather his people. He will build his church. And we're called zealously to preach that. Good news. Desire to be used of him in the spreading of the word. Knowing he does not need us. But it is the case that he works through 
an instituted church. And now we notice that in the second place. God sent them. Sent them through the church institute. Here, the church in Antioch. So it wasn't the case that we read of God speaking to Barnabas and Saul and sending them out and without a church being involved at all. That Barnabas and Saul are talking together or something and all of a sudden God speaks to the two of them and sends them out and there's no church sending. That's not the way it was. They are laboring in the providence of God. They're laboring together. They're in the church at Antioch and the Holy Ghost says, separate me. Barnabas and Saul, and they, we read, that when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They sent them. The church sent them forth. And so today we have what's referred to as a calling church. Sometimes I've asked that question, like in catechism class. I'll ask when, you know, we've had these missionaries in the Philippines. Who is the calling church for the missionaries that are laboring in the Philippines? And when I would ask that as a pastor in Hull, you know, they're familiar with the congregation in Doom. And if some of them, maybe they're not even aware. You know, what, what, there's a church that's called these men. Find out, oh, it's Doon. So Doon, just right near them, Doon is the calling church that called these men to go forth and to preach the gospel in the Philippines. So when it's the case that a man is called to the mission field, he is called by God through a church institute. And then in the, we have reference to this idea that when a man is called, whether he's called to labor in a specific church as their pastor, or whether he is called to labor on the mission field, that it is God that calls the person, and that they are called by God's church. That God works through the church and the church calls the man that God would have to labor in, the, in that instituted church or on the mission field. That's a question that's asked a man in an installation form. Where one of the questions, the first question is this. I asked thee whether thou feelest in thy heart that thou art lawfully called of God's church and therefore of God himself to this holy ministry. It makes a reference to both. Called of God's church and therefore of God himself. Lawfully called of God's church, and therefore, of God himself. And he is to answer yes, truly, with all my heart to that and the other questions that are asked. He feels that in his heart. There are those that, you know, if somebody goes out and says they've been called to preach and they haven't been called by a church, 
then it's important to point that out to them, that God, if God calls somebody to be a minister, it'll be called through the, a church. This is something, too, that you sometimes face in the work of missions, that you come to, to a group, say, in another country somewhere, and you find out this person is an elder, this person is a deacon, this person is a minister. And then if you ask the question, how did you become a minister? And at first they may not know exactly what you mean by that question, then you're going to have to explain it. How is it that you came into the position that you were a pastor, pastor of this church? You say that there's a church here. How did this church come to be? How did you become the pastor? And to give instruction about the lawful call. And what is the proper way for somebody to be called, for a church to call somebody to be their pastor? Similarly with elders and deacons, that we have a nomination and then there is a voting. But we're talking specifically now about the ministers of the word, that if a man says, well, God called me, and somebody said, but in what church? One is to be called, lawfully called by a church, and therefore of God himself. And to prove that, this would be a good text. To show that. Because you can clearly show that from the, from the word of God in the passage that, that we just read. God spoke to them while they were gathering for worship as they ministered to the Lord. That term ministered is a term that has been used for the service of the priests in the tabernacle. And now here in, a, in the new dispensation, saints gathered for worship. It says, as they're gathering for worship, we read, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul. Two of the five men that were there, the five men are listed in verse 1. Barnabas is listed first, Saul is listed last. The other three men, Simeon called Niger, which means black, distinguished from others called Simeon. We're just told that, he's, that thou, he was also called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Some of those who fled when there was that persecution were from Cyprus and Cyrene, and Lucius is said to be of Cyrene. There is a reference to a Lucius in Romans 16, verse 21, but there's a question as to whether or not that's the same man. Manaean. Well, about Manaean, there's something specific said about him that he had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That's the Herod, that's thought to be the Herod that killed John the Baptist. He was brought up with him. So he was in the society of the leaders of this world. And instead, he wanted to be with the people of God. And here he was in Antioch as one of those that's listed in the Word of God as one of the prophets and teachers that was there in Antioch. And now two of the five, so there would still be three, 
two of the five are called to this specific work. About Barnabas, we read earlier that he sold, he was one of those that had sold his land and brought the money to the apostles. He was a Levite. He was from Cyprus. They're first going to go to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. And Saul, we already read how he was called by Christ. We read of that earlier in the book of Acts. And we read of how he turned from sin to God. And he and Barnabas taught for a while. And then they were sent out. And they were the ones that had been used to, they were the ones that had been brought that money down to Judea. It says, they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And then, right before, right before the text we're considering, it says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. So they had gone to Jerusalem with that, with the financial assistance, with the money, and now they come back, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So there we read of John Mark with them, and now specifically we're told that he went with them on this second, on this first missionary journey, at least at the beginning. Later on, as we know, he, he departed. But as they went, as they started, they went, he went with them. John Mark, who was related to Barnabas. We read of that in Colossians 4, verse 10. They were the ones that had been separated for this specific work. So even though, say, Barnabas and Saul were teaching before, and we read of how Paul had been called by Christ earlier, and how he had turned, and now how he had been teaching for some time, now they are called to this specific work separated for this specific work to which God had called them. And now we turn, in the last place, to that. Ministers sent for the work. What is the work? And that is to go forth and preach the gospel. Talking to a man just the other day, where somebody was talked about how he was saw what something he was reading about a list of things to do with regard to missions. And as he went through the list, one thing he took a note of was that there wasn't a specific reference to the preaching of the truth. Which should be central, of course. What's the work? Well, you ought to preach the gospel. The good news of the gospel. Now one might think, well, that's, that's good news. Isn't it? Is it going to be the case that everybody's going to rejoice to hear the good news? We see from Paul and Barnabas as they went forth that many opposed. It's a good news of sovereign grace, particular grace, God saving every person that he desires to save. That every person for whom Christ died will be saved. That Christ will build his church. He'll save those for whom he laid down his life. 
Well, there are those that are going to be opposed to that. There's going to be those that are going to greatly rejoice to hear the good news and who are going to come to God with sorrow, confessing their sins, and so, so thankful to know their sins are forgiven, that they're righteous in Christ before God and an heir of everlasting life, such comfort they have. And yet there's others that are opposed. And we know it's only the work of God's grace that anybody believes. Only somebody that God has, to whom God has spiritually quickened and given a new heart would ever believe the gospel when they hear it. They were to preach that word. We're to preach it distinctively. Mean clearly and distinctively, a good illustration of what is meant by distinctively is when we look at the canons of Dort that not only explain what we believe, but also what we do not, what errors we reject. Knowing there are so many teachings that are false, there is a tendency to hear the teachings that are false and just not to say anything about them. You hear these ideas and you know that it's not true, but you know there's going to be, you expect opposition if you say anything, you just don't say anything about it. But it is important that we unashamedly teach what Christ has taught us. To not be ashamed of his words. To not be ashamed of what he taught. We have to do it in the right way. We must not do it arrogantly. But with genuine humility. As much that have, as those that have a lot to learn ourselves. And not to act as if we can't learn anything from anybody else. But the things that we are very confident, that we have no doubt that the Scriptures teach these things, we are to teach them and to show from the Scriptures. To show from the Scriptures that they are so. And when we talk about personal witnessing, it's important for us not only to know what the truth is, but to be able to show others that this is the Word of God. So that we don't simply say, well, the church I go to doesn't teach that. The church I go to says that God only desires to save some human beings. Well, can you prove that? That Christ died only for some human beings. Can you prove that? That the covenant is a bond of fellowship and friendship. It's not a conditional agreement. Can you prove that? That it's unconditional. Just as election is unconditional. We need to, all of us need to strive to continue to improve at being able to go to Scripture to show people and to listen to the questions they may have. When they say, well, what about this verse? And to be, when we don't really know the answer, they may point out a verse that we really don't know how to answer that. Well, then it's rather than just saying something when we don't really know for sure if it's right, for us to say, well, about that verse, I really don't know. I know what it does. Someone might, we may say, I know what it doesn't teach, because that would be going against the rest of Scripture. But as far as what it does, 
I'll need to look at that some more. And then we can talk later. We're faithfully to bring the word of truth and to look to God to guide us. And that he'll guide the church along, guide his servants along the way. You know, first they went to, first they went to a region. You know, they went to Cyprus. Well, there were Jews there. There were Jews in Cyprus. Barnabas was from there. Some Christians had fled there. So they went, they, they go to Cyprus first. It says that when they sent forth, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, they departed unto Seleucia. And Seleucia is on the coast. And so if you were to be looking like at a map from Antioch, you'd, if you were to go toward the coast, towards the direction of where Cyprus would be and get to the Mediterranean coast, then you'd come to Seleucia, the harbor there. So they went there and then they sailed to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, which would be to the west. And they first went to a synagogue on the east side of the island. It says they went to Cyprus, and when they were at Salamis, which is on the east side of Cyprus, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And then later we read about how they would go around the southwest part of the island and go to Paphos. And we hear that there would be somebody that would hear about these men. And they, we read of a Sergius Paulus who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. So the point is they went out on the work, they went to this one area, and then they get there and other, a person hears about them and he wants to hear the word of God from them. Now, we've had that happen in the Philippines, too. We send men out there, and then other people hear that we've got men out in the Philippines, and they want to hear the word of God from them. They hear there are these men preaching the gospel in their country, and they would like those men to come to them, and they want to hear the word of God from them. And then one would see the direction of God to go to that area, and preach to those that have requested it. God would guide them along the way. The Macedonian call that we sometimes, you know, that we speak about, that wasn't something at the beginning of the work. That was later on. You know, and there was more than one journey. It wasn't even in the in the in the first journey. That it was later on when there was certain places that they were not allowed to go. And then the, the Macedonian call, God used what was called the Macedonian call to direct them while they were already engaged in the work. Not to wait to get started, but while they were engaged in the work of missions, they were told to go to Macedonia. So they were directed as to where to go next. And we know, of course, today we're not going to have new revelations. We're not going to have a dream or a vision. We're not, and hear God tell us a specific place. Now that the Bible is finished, 
There's no additional revelation. But God will guide us. Even as he guided them to go to Sergius Paulus, who wanted to hear the word, God will guide us along the way. And he sent out two, which we followed in the practice of, of the foreign missions in foreign countries, and they prayed, and they prayed for them and sent them forth. Certainly our desire is that the Lord would, make, would use us in the spread of the gospel in our own country and in other nations. It's true, we talk about foreign countries and how important it is that we go to other countries as God directs us and also in our own land, that there are many that have not heard the gospel preached soundly, that have never heard anybody rightly explain salvation by grace alone. There are many who would say salvation is by grace alone, but if they would hear you rightly explain it, they would hear something they've never heard before. And they may ask, who teaches that? There may be many that mock you. And there may be others that would want to hear more. And we're to look to God to guide us in this work with the confidence that he will. That as he sent out these men back in, in the days of Barnabas and Saul, certainly he's sending out people still today to go forth to preach the gospel. And we as church... And churches are involved in the work of missions, and as we as individual believers, may the Lord strengthen us in this work, knowing that he will accomplish his purpose. May we faithfully bear witness to what we have seen and heard, and honor our God, and express our thankfulness to him for all that he's done for us, and for all his covenant people. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and our Father, we're very thankful, O Lord, for thy grace. Lord, strengthen us for the work, the important work to which thou dost call us as a church in churches. Bless our pastor here as he is called to the work in this congregation and strengthen him for the work that God has called him to do. And may the ministers of the word throughout our churches, each one in his station and calling, perform that work faithfully the honor and the glory of thy name, relying on thee, our God and our Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.